Hi, everybody. I'm really happy to be here with all of you tonight. And we have two wonderful speakers. And our first speaker tonight is going to be, wherever she is, Allison. There she is. And can we have the doors closed, please? Thank you. Hi. Ooh. Good evening. My name is Allison, and I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi. Um, I'm just going to name that I'm just a humble compulsive overeater. I don't have all the answers. Um, I'm just a person who's going to share my experience, strength, and hope. And it's a little intimidating being up here. Um, and that's okay. I can name it, and then I can move on and ask my higher power to help me just show up and do the best I can. Um, just, just to qualify, I can't see you from there. So if you want to just... Um, I have been in program, August will be seven years. Um, in June, I celebrated seven, or excuse me, um, six years of um, my abstinence, which I define as weighted measured food that I've communicated to my sponsor, no white flour, no sugar in the first five ingredients, and um, also no binging and purging. Um, my highest weight was 210 pounds. I'm right now 145. Um, and... You know, I, I'm a person who, um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I, when I sat down tonight, didn't know what to say to the people at my table and was kind of looking forward to the food coming so I could have something to do. You know, that hasn't changed in seven years. But for today, when I hit the plate, I stop. I don't get a second plate. I'm not reaching for the rolls for a second, third time. I'm able to ask for help and uh, pray to have enough food for today and be reminded that this is not the last meal I'll ever have. You know, because there's moments where, oh, my God, like, if, I, if it tastes just right or I can get that combination, like, I can get that hit, you know, so I can be okay inside. Because really, so I can check out. Because oftentimes, life can feel too overwhelming. I happen to be a product of a compulsive overeater, possibly two, and I might even be a grandchild of a compulsive overeater. Um, there's stories of my grandmother being diabetic and eating whatever she wants sweet-wise and then starving herself before going to the doctor so that she had a normal blood sugar. Um, my dad took me to my first meeting when I was 15 years old. Um, I wasn't ready yet. I had to kind of go out a little bit, and I didn't fully understand program. It was a little scary. You held hands. You said something. Um, and unfortunately, my dad died as a result of this disease. He was 350 pounds and had a stroke and cancer and was in the hospital for a year. Um, and my mom, when I grew up, when she was nervous, she would throw up. So there's something in the big book that says it doesn't matter if we were born with this or if we got this. I didn't really have a chance. But what I do have now that I didn't have before is a program of recovery that helps me show up for my life. And um, the topic for the convention is a new freedom and a new happiness. And as a result of this program, I was actually given the gift of, I like to think of it as a pause, but it's a sense of not being alone in the world. It can still feel lonely and it still feels scared, but there's that moment where I can pause and say, higher power, can you hold my hand right now? Can you help me make a phone call? Can you help me reach out? Can you help me be who I need to be for today? And, and part of that is just being honest. Because for so much of my life, I just didn't want to be honest. Like, I would eat something I wasn't supposed to. I would lie about it. Um, I'm, I'm sure, like many people, I have a shared history. I would babysit. I would eat all the food there. You know, I would, I would wait and, like, close the shutters and, like, food and TV. And now I can get on my computer. Or was all I really needed. Because I didn't want a life. Like, I did. But it wasn't going to be just right. So I needed to... I, I kind of in my head felt like I would be a failure. So I can't do the look of a certain thing. I can't be Martha Stewart or the princess or the, you know, the homecoming queen. So I thought, well, I can be smart, I can be funny, and I can eat in private. You know, because I can't fill the checklist, but I can at least get food. That's my consolation prize, and I will take that, and that will be mine. And it worked for a little while until it didn't. And... um Unfortunately, my grandfather was diagnosed with six months to live, and my mom got breast cancer, and I kind of overate a little bit, and then I watched a TV special about throwing up, and I was like, ooh, that'll work for me, um, and it did a little bit, um, but I, I'm a bulimic, which means 
I don't feel okay inside at moments, and then I want to eat, and then I feel really bad that I ate beyond that weird skinny point of what you're supposed to have, and once I'm beyond that, I might as well keep eating and then purging. And, you know, there's just such a, um, a self-hatred, you know, and um, what, ooh, pardon me, what, what happened was I, after many years in high school and college trying to get recovery, I, I took a job after my dad passed away selling cars, which wasn't healthy, and I ended up being in a romantic relationship with someone, which wasn't healthy. I was doing things that weren't good for me, and I did a geographic. But the funny thing was I moved from North Carolina to San Francisco, and I thought, this is the one toilet I'm not going to throw up in, you know, because I thought that was what the difference was. They were like, I'm not going to overeat again, like, because that's what's not going to happen. And I would still go to the grocery store, and I would buy the food, you know, and I would cook the baked item, and while it was cooking, I would eat the frozen item, and then I'd eat a little, and then I'd throw up, and I'd eat more, and then I'd eat it for breakfast. Like, I, I would do this cycle that I knew never worked, but I didn't know how to not have the cycle. You know, all I knew was that why wasn't food enough and why didn't I feel good inside? And I, after two weeks of moving to San Francisco and throwing up many times, walked into my first official meeting as an adult. And what I found was people being honest. It was a small meeting. They sat in circles, in a circle, and they hugged me afterwards. And they, and they just said what was going on. There was no last names. There's no what do you do, where you're from. It was here's what's going on in my life. Here this way that life hurts in, at, at this moment, or I feel scared, or here's how I'm showing up. And there was just such honesty, which for me in the past, when I went to therapy, I would think of interesting things to say, or how can I frame this in such a story to be charming and funny and be lovable, because that's what I thought I had to be. And there's such a bravery in program, and that's what's so amazing, whether I'm here at a convention or talking with other people. I don't have to know who you are, but I know that you understand I know, that you, I know that you know how hard it can be and how scary it can be to be in life. You know, like I'm, I'm 31 years old and my dream was to be a golden girl. I wanted to be like 85 and just eat cheesecake. That's all I wanted. Like, how do I get there? Why do I have to go through all this other crap? Like, I just, I don't want to say I give up, but I want to enjoy that and not have to hurt my body or finding a man and getting married and having kids and having a career. All of these things I didn't really, like I wanted, but I felt like I'm just not going to do it right. And in program, what I learned was just being honest, having a sponsor who called me, pardon me on my French, but called me my bullshit. She said, you're not working your fourth step. And I wasn't because I was so afraid of what would happen if I told everyone that my first sexual experience was with a married man or that I stole food or that, you know, that I cheated on my college tests or that I, that I would use a discount of a store. I would, I would buy shoes, wear them for six months and return them. Like, would anyone like me if they knew all these horrible things about me? And what happened was I got to kind of get to know myself as I really am. I took an honest inventory. And as a result of that, my sponsor didn't run away. There was no puff of smoke as she ran away because of my crazy. She was like, okay, now go on to six and seven. There was a, so what's the common thing underneath this? It's fear. It's ego. It's self-hatred. It's impatience. It's people pleasing. It's not wanting to be an adult. It's, it's all these expectations. And for me, the new freedom is a slight release of all those expectations. You know, for today, I don't have to be perfect. I can imperfectly show up. I probably have food in my teeth right now because I don't clean my braces very well and I don't really want to. Um, but for today, like I get to be a person who, you know, is doing the best that they can, you know, and that can be enough. It's not enough for me, but I'm practicing trying that. Sorry. I made some notes that I just wanted to, um, share. Um, so as a result of this program, um, I have a relief of the obsession of food for today. And that happened as a result of having a food plan. Whatever it is, have a plan for food. What happened for me was that I ended up commuting for a job, and I, there was no food court there. So I started making my food. You know, I would have pre-measured. I became a Tupperware person who had a layer of Tupperware. I've made several meals in a container. Food is done. There's no panic attack of I'm in front of the menu. I'm hungry. I don't know what to order. What's the right amount of food? What's in it? That still happens to me a little bit where I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And now I know I've been to enough places. You get a protein. You get a salad. 
You know, you can ask questions. I can say that doesn't work for me or no, thank you. They're, my new job, I've been there um, six and a half years. They know not to give me dessert when it's someone's birthday. They know because I've been able to say no, thank you. Many times, no, thank you. I was just, it was at a wedding or something, and they kept trying to put food in front of me. I was like, no, no, I'm good. Like 17 times, got to say no, no, no. But that, that doesn't mean I have to eat it because I know the answer is not at the bottom of that plate. I know if I have one bite, just one, it's not going to be enough. There was a phrase I actually heard from my dad, which is one bite's too much and the whole thing isn't enough. Because it's such a bigger hole inside. And for me, certain desserts, all desserts really, don't work for me. And that's okay. I, when I first came into program, I heard no sugar. Oh my God. I'm like, but what about my wedding cake? My husband has to feed me wedding cake. I'm not married, by the way. But <laughs> thinking ahead here. But um, I'm dating someone now and I'm thinking he can feed me a strawberry or he doesn't have to feed me anything at all. Like my life is not incomplete if I don't get these moments. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. It's not anyone's expectation but mine. And I just feel sad. I'm like, oh, I don't get that thing. But it was never one. I would want to eat the second one. I'd want to sneak to the back and go to the bathroom and eat the third one. It was never one. You know, but for today, I have my food plan. I follow it. I have my phone. I email my sponsor my food. If there's a change, I email her. If I don't know, I was on a cruise for two weeks to Europe. There was no cell phone coverage. I trusted my higher power and I asked for help. What does a portion look like? And if it ever felt like too much, okay, that was one meal. I got a whole other meal. I don't have to end everything. I don't have to throw it away. I had a moment where I finally got 60 days, and then I overate a bag of um, crunchy things. It, it wasn't sugar. It wasn't a binge. But I overate it, and I, I hit the concrete. I'm like, oh, that thing went away. And I realized that was overeating. And I wasn't ready to start back at day one yet. I told my sponsor, I think I might have overeaten. Can you give me three days? Can we recount it on Tuesday, not today? Because if I'm back at day one, I think I'm going to stay at day zero. Because I know I'm a big perfectionist who wants to achieve. If that's what I need to do for me for today, that's okay. You know, because I took a chip at the next meeting. I have 60 days when I didn't really. And I went back to that meeting a couple months later and I apologized. I didn't honorably get this. And then later on, I got it honorably. You know, there's, there's an honesty in this room, and I don't want to ever jeopardize that by doing something I'm not supposed to do. So I have a food plan I follow, and I have relief from food most of the time. You know, sometimes it's scary. I have to keep snacks with me, or the meals get kind of long, or sometimes I want to be, like, really hungry so I can, like, combo meals. I do manipulative stuff at times, but I'm honest about it. Hey, I did this thing. I need to call it out because I put it under the rug. It just grows. It just grows and grows and grows. You know, and the only way I get recovery is by being honest. And, and as a result of program, I get to show up. You know, I took a service commitment at that meeting, and I went every week. And then as a result of that, I got to be a better roommate. I didn't do chores. I didn't want to clean. I would leave things messy and then say someone else can deal with it. But at, at my life, at home, at work, as a result of, of program in my life, I actually got the top award my company awards. It's called the best of the best. And I was there, and I was up on stage. They picked 70 people out of 10,000, and they flew me to New York. It was the Waldorf Astoria. And I was on stage, and I was like, I feel like a fraud. I'm like, don't they know I'm not perfect? But it wasn't a result of that. It was me showing up for what I did do. And I had to ask my higher power, because I was walking in this big thing, like, help me enjoy this moment. Help me not be better than this moment, or I don't need this moment. Or, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of letting it soak in. I'm afraid of my life meaning something, because what if it's really good and it goes away? You know, I have a relationship with someone now where we just celebrate eight months. My brain wants to be, when is he going to propose? When are we going to get married? Where's our honeymoon going to be? What are our kids going to look like? And I have to ask higher power, help me be in today. Because if he's not the one, that's fine. I will survive. I'm sure it'll hurt. I'm sure I'll cry, but I'll get right back up. And maybe I was supposed to learn something from it. From this program, I learned when something bad happens, I'm supposed to learn something from this, and I'm supposed to share about it. Because maybe someone in the rooms is going to go through it soon and then help them. Because I was in the rooms hearing someone else. They moved a bunch of times. They lost their job. They broke up with their boyfriend. Their family was visiting. I hear in the rooms all of this shared recovery. And from that, I get to learn it's possible. I didn't have the hope that it was possible. I thought this was eating and throwing up was the only way to be. I thought I was just going to be giant. I almost wanted, I had this fantasy, I got big enough, I can get gastric bypass, because that would fix it. You know, 
I still choose what goes in my body, but I don't. My brain has a disease. I have an unhealthy reaction to food. Even being in a small body, even having portions, I still sometimes have an unnatural reaction. 95% of the time, I'm relieved of it, and I get to show up. And I get to be a person who's sitting at the table and asking questions. So how do I be of service in my life? How do I ask the other person how they're doing? How can I be honest? I don't want to be honest with my boyfriend. I want to do whatever he wants to do because I want him to like me. But that's not fair for me because then I get resentful and I have to write 10 steps about it and then I have to like tell my sponsor. Um, with my, my family life as a result of this program, I have a relationship with my mom. She's been to many, many meetings with me because she was like, oh, are you almost done with that OA thing? <laughs> I was, you better start coming to these meetings because I'm going to be a person who has 40, 50 years because I want to be. I want that giant chip. I want to be at the long timers meeting. Like that's what I want. <laughs> You know, and, and when my mom comes to visit me, because my time is very short, I commute, I have a busy retail life, she comes to the 9.30 meeting with me every time she visits. She comes to that literature meeting, and she likes it. And she says, oh, that's so nice. I love your meetings. She doesn't want to do it in North Carolina. And that's her choice, because it's her program, not mine. My job is to show up and for her to sort of understand that she might qualify if she wants to have this. And I'm joining another program for help with that. But we're talking about me. <laughs> So, but I get to talk to her. And normally, sometimes, when she calls, I'll have the phone away from my ear because I don't want to say something obnoxious that I have to apologize for. But I can hear how she's doing. I can say I love you. I can act as her mini-therapist. But I have a relationship with her. I had to move across the country, but I have a relationship with her. Um, as a result of this program, I'm kind to myself. I always got holes in my... This is going to sound strange, but I would get holes in my underwear and not want to buy new underwear. I wouldn't want to throw it away. I hold on to these things because I don't deserve, it's not worth it, I want to save my money somehow. And now I buy nice things. You know, I have to rationalize it and use a discount, but like I, I'm able to wear things that fit my body. And it's funny, my boyfriend... He got me a hat. We were at the, the jazz festival, and it was really sunny, and I saw this hat, and I wanted to buy it, but I wasn't sure. And he's like, he got it for me because sometimes I'm afraid of buying things for myself because I have a history of either losing it, breaking it, not being worth it. You know, like then it's lost money. But, you know, sometimes with food, and this isn't to sound strange, it's worth the money. If I'm in an airport and I need fruit, I'll pay $4 for a fruit cup because I need that. You know, or I'll buy... Which, with integrity, I'll buy a cup of milk for $2, even though you can get it free from Starbucks. Like, I, I want to get the free milk for my for breakfast, but I'll buy it. You know, sometimes throwing money at things for self-care is worth it. It's kind of, it just seems strange to me somehow. You know, sometimes, for me, cabs are self-care. I get home late at night. I just want to get home. I, I can do things for me that I would spend money on food with, but somehow other things in my life aren't important. Um... As a result of this program, I learned I was funny or I let myself be funny, and I started doing stand-up comedy. I don't do it as much now, but it's, I actually, at one of the conventions, I think it was three or four years ago, I did stand-up at the opening night, and I was making jokes about Tupperware and looking at everyone else's food, and, you know, like, what we have is funny. It's hard, and it's scary, but it's funny, and there's a, there's a bravery, and um, uh, it's scary being vulnerable. They always say that when you are looking at an audience, you're supposed to imagine them naked. Being here, I feel like I'm naked because I'm, I'm, when I'm on stage, I'm allowing people to give me approval or not approval or what do you think of me? Tell me you love me. I want to be good enough. Like, I want that best share ever. You know, but it, it's not about that. With, with our program and with who we are, it's for me showing up with integrity and it's not about me. I'm just a person in the rooms and I... I I'm just going to say this. I tend to be a younger person in this room. I might even be the youngest one. You know, but we have this disease, and we've had this disease, at least for me, many, many years. And, and I hope to just stay in the rooms because the, the keep coming back, and it works if you work it. You know, and it, it's just hard. You know, it's hard to connect and to let people see me and hug me and love them. You know, because part of our disease is isolation of I'm terminally unique or the inferiority, the, the piece of poo that the world revolves around. It's all of me, but it's not. You know, and, and it stops me from growing when I do that, when I make myself so different. Um, so, um, So the gifts of this program that I have are I've been working with my sponsor for six and a half years. 
which I never thought I'd work with someone. I still think that she's going to fire me every day when I talk to her. Like, she's going to get tired of me. Um, I have a healthy body weight for today. I, I also, as a result with Action Plan, had a, um, I had an exercise routine. I'm currently not doing yoga twice a week because it, it didn't make sense and it wasn't fun anymore for me. It was too hot and it hurt my body. So I want to have willingness to try to find something for, you know, to maintain exercise for health, not for skinniness so I can be tiny. But I have a healthy body weight I've maintained for six years. Um, I have a stable living situation. I had to move a lot, a lot of apartments. I've been with my roommate four years. When we have disagreements, we work through it. I kind of get afraid of fights and I want to shut down or, you know, not get violent. I almost just kind of want to implode on myself and say no one understands and just run away because that seems easy. Um, I'm able to imperfectly sit with discomfort. I have a really uncomfortable job where people yell at me. I'm I'm a sales manager for a a high-end department store. Often I get yelled at by customers who are unhappy about something. And I've learned in this program it's not about me. That person has every right to complain. They absolutely do. But me correcting them or telling them what I think they should do doesn't ever work. So I sit and I listen, and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes I wring my hands or, you know, I might have a chip and I hold on to it. Or higher power, help me see what this person needs to get out. And then I acknowledge what they're saying, and then I offer solutions. Well, here's what our options are. How do you want to proceed? When in the past, it's almost like with friends. Like you wait for them to finish saying what they're saying, and you tell them what you think they should do. You know, and that's not really friendship. That's not listening. That's you giving advice. The other person talking doesn't often want advice. They just want to be heard. And that's what our program offers is a chance to be heard and to be seen in a way that often other people, maybe they don't know how to themselves. You know, I think if people had program, they, you learn new ways of showing up for life. Um, and as a result, well, or part of that, is doing my eighth and ninth step. My, my sponsor said something wonderful because I had to make all these amends and I was terrified of doing it. She said, by the time your hand is on the doorknob to go in, you'll have the courage. You don't have it now, but by the time you get there. And I have to remind myself that because I might get in trouble or things go wrong. or you know, I'm, I'm, Every time my boss calls me, I'm afraid I did something wrong. Like instantly, like every time it's like the principal's office, like I did something wrong, I did something wrong. When maybe there's something to work on, but there's always something to work on. You know, it, it, it's hard to have it be okay. I like drama. I like chaos. I know how to fix things. And part of life isn't about that. It's about sitting. And I, I took a plane ride about a week and a half ago. We were supposed to take off at 8.30. We got there at 5. It didn't take off until 2 in the morning. It was a nine-hour wait. And what I did was what I could do was I went to the help desk, I waited online, I called a phone number, I did everything my parents taught me how to be proactive and fix things. And after there not being a flight going out or anything else, I sat and I said, I'm going to sit here because it's going to take as long as it takes. You know, and eventually we took off. But me spinning around, me trying to get new food, me complaining wasn't going to fix anything. Either I'll take off or I won't. I'll go to a hotel room or I won't. Those are my options. What's real? Because my head wants to give me all these fantasies that I've been wronged or I deserve whatever. When that person on the other end is doing the best they can. If the plane can't take off, it can't take off. I can't make it take off. I don't have that kind of power. And that's what's hard about program is you realize what are the things I can't change? I can't change the past. I can't change my DNA. I can't change what's going to happen. You know, what are the things I can change? I can change my perspective, or I can ask for not the first thought, but the first action to be the next right action. Because that first thought is not always the right thought. It's say something smart, eat this item, like, oh my God, you've been wrong. You're like, really? Is that, is that real? Is this real? And then, okay, so what's the next right action? And I heard this wonderful thing from um, someone who spoke that with every year of abstinence, you get an extra second. And he had like 12 or 13 years. He's like, so I have 12 second pause between. And sometimes I'm supposed to have six seconds, but it doesn't feel like that. But I breathe and then I speak versus immediately wanting to say that next thing. Because I'm a really quick thinker and a quick talker. But once I say it, I can't take it back. And oftentimes I've regretted things I've said. So isn't it better to pause and then something else might come in, like higher powers in that pause. And then I kind of hear what I'm supposed to do or what's supposed to happen or, you know, like, and just turn over the results because I'm not going to know what's going to happen. I don't know if my boyfriend and I will be together. I don't know if what will happen with life. You know, I, I had willingness to get braces when I didn't really want to. 
you know, I, and then once I have them, I'm like, ah, what was me? I made a choice. I wanted to fix two teeth before it got worse. I had two options. And now I get to do footwork to either floss or not floss and to be patient. You know, I, I went in last week because, like, can I take them off? Can I take them off? And he said, yeah. And what he meant was we'll take a mold of, for the retainer, and in a week we'll take it off. So I'm sitting there, like, wanting this dental hygienist to remove the, the metal brackets, and she's not. And I'm really frustrated and angry, and I had to think, do I have a choice? No. They're not going anywhere for the next week. So I might as well have acceptance around it. Acceptance doesn't mean I like it, but it means it is what it is. And when I deny that it is what it is, I'm a crazy person. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You know, and and for today, I have braces. God willing, on Monday, they are coming off. But... (laughs) You know, for today, I can hold on, <laughs> you know, and I can be grateful that it's only four and a half months, not a year, not two years, not five years. And they weren't that painful, you know, and I can be grateful that I told my boyfriend when I first started seeing him, I said, would you like me if I had braces? His response was, I bet you'd be really cute in them, <laughs> you know, and I'm giving him an opportunity to show up for me because so often I push people away because I'm so afraid of like being seen or being vulnerable or not being perfect. And there's just something wonderful about being honest and letting him help me. You know, and, and, you know, for today, like I don't like to think of myself as having success, but if I phrase it as higher power is giving me an opportunity to show up, it's not for me, it's for higher power. So I got this award at work, I'm in a relationship, healthy body weight. It's not for me. It's for higher power for me to be an example that this is what happens when you do your steps. When I show up at meetings, when I try to pray and meditate, I go to three meetings a week because I have to. I get amnesia. I get really antsy and crazy. And when I don't go, I feel it. And when I go, I see people I like. At first, it was really strange going to meetings. It was strange people in seats. But when you see them over and over and over again, it becomes family. And it becomes people you love and you care about and you want to know how they're doing. You know, and then you, you, you do the steps, you're honest, you, you sponsor, you have sponsees, who I just heard someone's, uh, a good chunk of her fourth step, I heard another hour of it, and it was really humbling hearing someone be so honest, and for me to say thank you for sharing that with me. You know, thank you for being honest and giving me the bravery to remind me that I'm still doing the best I can. You know, because it can be really hard to not have it be exactly the way I thought it was supposed to be. You know, I thought with the right body and the right job and these right things, like, it would be orgasms and cupcakes all the time. Like, that's what I thought. The promises don't say that. I've read them many times. There's no in-between line where it says that, unfortunately. You know, I, I, it says if you have financial insecurity, you'll get through it. It doesn't mean you won't have it. If you feel uncomfortable, you'll get through it. I just, I want it to be happy all the time, but I'm imperfectly accepting that maybe this is my way of higher power reminding me that I'm alive, that I get to survive it. You know, there are these, it's almost like um, waves in the ocean. If you've ever seen um, Castaway, he's stuck on the island and he can't get off. It's like my sponsees would always like have a couple days and then lose it, have a couple days and lose it. Like you have to get over those waves to appreciate it. And then you're in calm waters. You know, but it's so hard the first time I do anything. It's so scary and so uncomfortable. And then it becomes second nature. You know, it it can be so scary, but it means I grow. Every time I do something I don't want to do and that's uncomfortable, I'm growing a little bit. And it's not growing this way. It's growing on the inside, you know, in a way that I get to learn and not know the answer to everything because God knows I read so many books and want to think I know the answer to everything. But this isn't a race. You know, it's not like I get to lose enough calories and be skinny enough. It's what kind of life do I have based on people I talk to and people who love me and I get to love them. You know, it's, um, you know, it's the relationship I have with myself and my higher power. And oftentimes it's scary. And oftentimes I forget to pray and just, this might seem out of, out of, um, whatever, but, um, I often will pray in the bathroom because I have to go to the bathroom many times a day. And when I sit, I can thank my higher power that my body is functioning, that I'm okay, that I have a functional toilet, that hopefully there's TP, and that, you know, help me breathe. Because once I'm out in the world, it's very much being on. And I just so often lose myself, and I've just found myself. And I really want to keep that relationship. And 
that's what this program offers. So thank you all for being here and just keep coming back. Give Allison another hand. Thank you, Allison. And our second speaker for tonight is Frank. Thank you, Frank. Come on up. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm a compulsive reader. Thank you, Allison. So, um, first of all, I wanted to thank the uh, committee for inviting me to speak here. It's a real honor to do that. And I want to thank all of you guys for showing up. It would be a little embarrassing if this was an empty room. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm really grateful for to be here. And uh, the committee asked me to talk about the new freedom and new happiness, which was the theme of this convention. And I, and I will get to that. But first, I want to just fill in the backstory uh, before that. So um, I'll get the statistics out of the way first. I came into OA, in this August, it'll be 35 years ago, so almost 35 years ago. And I have eight years of abstinence, and that was celebrated on June 26th of this year. So there's a, a big gap between those two numbers. And when I first came in, I had about eight years of abstinence before I, I lost it and went through a 19-year period of uh, relapse and recovery, back and forth. And thank God it wasn't all relapse, because I'd be dead right now if it was all relapse. But I, I kept coming to OA. I knew this was a solution, but even in relapse, I wasn't, even though I was in relapse, I kept coming, but I just wasn't willing to work the program. But then I would get spurts of abstinence and, uh, and some recovery and back and forth. The... Um, even if the periods of abstinence and, uh, and relapse were equal, the net effect was that my weight kept going up because I could gain more weight during the relapse than I could lose during the recovery periods. So um, getting to the statistics on the weight, my top weight before I came into OA was 430 pounds. I actually walked in the doors at 380 pounds and um, got down to my goal weight of around 200 pounds within the first year in the program and stayed near there for the first eight years, and then started doing the sawtooth up and down, up and down, up and down. And I got to a higher top weight in my, in my relapse than I did before OA. I got to 460 pounds in my relapse. And, I, um, and eight years ago, when I started my current abstinence, I was at 400 pounds. So um, I'm really grateful for this program. And, you know, I had all the, all the, the medical problems that come with that, diabetes, sleep apnea, high blood pressure, and I'm off all the medications, I'm off the CPAP machine and, and all of that thanks to this program. So um, to go back and fill in some more of the history behind that, I um, was raised in a very traditional church, and I wasn't overweight as a youngster. Um, the first thing I remember about it was in seventh grade, my dad made some comment at the dinner table as, as I was reaching for a second helping of mashed potatoes, I believe it was. And he said something like, if you stayed at this weight as you grew taller, it'll be okay. And that's the first time I got an indication that there was something that was not okay. And then in eighth grade, I got a bigger indication when I got the nickname of Hippo by the, uh, my fellow classmates. And that was a really painful period for me. Luckily, it didn't uh, follow me into high school, um, but I did gain more weight in high school and, you know, in eighth grade there, I was probably 20 pounds overweight. You know, that was it. But, uh, but that's what the kids are. So I really needed I, – I, I was raised in a traditional church, but in the middle of high school, I converted to atheism. And I really, I really got into physics and math and science, and I could come up with a proof that would show you that God did not exist. It was just not true. And in fact, you know, I studied St. Thomas's six proofs that God exists, and I could find the logical flaws in each one of them. So um, there was no doubt in my mind. And, you know, religion was fine for my grandparents and my parents, you know, but I had my brain. I was going to use my brain instead. I didn't need, I didn't need that religion stuff. So. so I went on, and I really had to hit a hard bottom in order to come into this program. And like I said, 430 pounds was part of it. 
another part of it. I, I am a compulsive reader first and foremost, but I to cover up the pain from the being over being that obese, I got into alcohol and marijuana, and um, so I'm multiply addicted. That was part of my hard bottom. But the thing that actually got me to look for help was that I had a brief friendship that turned into a kind of relationship with this woman at work, but then she wanted to end it. And that was unacceptable to me. This is the only woman in the world for me. Um, luckily, I found a wife in this program. But um, so I, you know, I, um, I, w- I was desperate. I was looking for help. And I called the Palto Medical Foundation. They said that they just had a therapist in that talked about weight loss uh, just the week before, and they gave me his name and number. I called him, and he said that he would take me on as a client, but that I'd have to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. Well, I didn't know anything about OA, and thank God there was no Internet, because if I'd, <laughs> if I'd looked up that OA was a spiritual program, I wouldn't be here today. Um, but I called the local phone number, and I found out where the meeting was, and it sounded like it was going to be a lot cheaper than the therapist. So I went to OA, and I didn't go to the therapist. <laughs> but the first meeting I went to was a very small meeting. There was like three people plus me. And they let me cross-talk and ask, how could an atheist work this program? You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. And um, they told me that I, I could use any higher power I wanted. It didn't have to be the traditional god. It could be the group itself could be my higher power. Um, if they have more power with com- overcoming compulsive reading than I do. So I, um, I didn't quite believe them, but somebody at that meeting loaned me the AA Big Book, and they said, there's this chapter in here called We Agnostics. Why don't you read that chapter? So I t- took the book home, I read the chapter, and then I was convinced this program was not for me. Because <laughs> the only thing I got out of that chapter was, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. And I, I didn't want to be converted. Now, luckily, I had borrowed the big book. If they had given it to me as a gift, I probably wouldn't have gone back to the second meeting. But I had, go back, I had to go back to that second meeting to return the book that I had borrowed. And I had a little bit more of a bottom in the weekend between those two f- meetings. And those were at noon on Wednesdays that I went to, the first two meetings. So at the second meeting, I uh, was willing to listen to them when they said I didn't need to believe in a higher power. And I actually went to a third meeting that same day that I went to the second meeting. It was a much bigger meeting down in San Jose, and there were like 30 people there. And there I got the hope that I needed because a man stood up and talked about having lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for many years. So there was hope. I didn't think there was any hope for me up, up to that point in time. So I plunged into the program. I got a food sponsor. Um, now, being a physicist, I understood the law of conservation of energy, and so the most sensible diet to me was counting calories, and that's what I did. It worked very well for me. I lost a lot of weight really rapidly. Um, but I didn't get a step sponsor because the steps had the word God in them. You know, I didn't want to deal with that. But luckily, about six months into the program, a guy came up and volunteered to be my sponsor, and he had been cut out of the same mold I had been cut out of. He had been multiply addicted, uh, atheist, uh, over 100 pounds to lose, And so he was the perfect sponsor for me, and especially because he got me to, first of all, give up the debate. I mean, I had this little proof that God didn't exist. What good was that doing me in my life? Well, it wasn't doing me any good at all. But if I could come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, what good would that do in my life? Well, that would do a lot of good in my life, being restored to sanity. And... um, You know, the only problem with that step was that it said, come to believe. You know, scientists don't use belief and faith as part of how they get knowledge. If they had rewritten that step and said, gathered evidence that a higher power could restore me to sanity, I might have been able to swallow a little bit faster. But that's essentially what I did. I gathered evidence. Because the next thing that he suggested I do is to just act as if and pray, even though I didn't think there was anything out there to pray to, and to my horror and disgust, it worked. If I said the serenity prayer, I usually got serenity, and that's usually what I needed. I usually was trying to change something that I couldn't change, some other person, place, or thing, or society, or whatever. And um, if, I could, if I could say the serenity prayer, I got some serenity. And so I kind of plunged in and um, worked the steps with him. I... Uh, kind of went on a little spiritual quest, and I eventually came up with a higher power for myself, which works for me. I think a lot of religious people would say that I'm still an atheist, 
but um, my higher power is the higher self within me. Um, what I, the way I differentiate it is that the Frank that's standing up here talking to you right now, that's the Frank who's powerless over food. That's the Frank whose life is unmanageable. And that's the Frank who needs to turn his will and his life over to the higher self that I have within me, the, the God within or the Christ within or any of those terms you want to use. Um, that's what it is. And I, um, I really love that our literature talks about using intuition as being the conduit to God. Because that's, that's where he is. He's right there. He's the intuition for me, basically. It's the intuition. is the higher self. Um, it's the part of me that knows the right amount of food to eat. And it's not the Frank up here who's, you know, stomping his feet and, you know, uh, resisting everything in, in life. So, um, so that's how I got into the program. Um, I had a relapse at eight years, and I uh, was active in the program, and I had, was getting a big ego in the program, was part of the problem. You know, I was the chairperson of the intergroup. I was the World Service Business Conference delegate. Um, I was being asked to speak at a lot of meetings, and uh, I knew the board of trustees of Overeaters and Onups Incorporated. And um, when I had the first binge, I couldn't tell anybody about it because then I would have to give up all these service positions, and so that led to a second binge, and then I finally had to give up the service positions, and, and that started a long period of relapse and recovery. And um, the, finally, um, eight years ago, I came out of it, and the reason I came out of it was because of a Region 2 convention. The Region 2 convention that year was in Oakland, now, I went to a lot of convention retreats those first eight years in the program. During my relapse and recovery, I did, relapse period, I didn't go to conventions. I didn't go to retreats. And um, eight years ago, I decided to go to the Region 2 convention. So I started my abstinence on the Monday before the convention. I figured it would be good to have a few days of abstinence before I get to the convention. I went to a meeting a day before I got to the convention. I saw people at the convention that I hadn't seen for a long time because I didn't go to the conventions. They still did. So I um, saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen for a long time. I heard a lot of recovery. I, heard, I went to a lot of meetings. And, um, and so I started going to, I started doing 90 meetings in 90 days when I, when I got done with the convention. And that was working so well that I kept it up for a couple of years. Now, I'm retired, so it's relatively easy for me to get to a lot of meetings. But I've, I did that for at least two years, um, my first two years of, of recovery. And um, I now am down to about three to four meetings a week, and that seems to be like my minimum, minimum weekly requirement, um, something like that. So that's how I got here today. Um, now, talking about the new freedom and a new happiness, first of all, that phrase comes from the beginning of the ninth step promises. And what the ninth step promises to me are really the results that you get from a spiritual awakening. And... Um, and a, a spiritual awakening, the, the definition I like best of the spiritual awake, the best definition that I like of a spiritual awakening is from Appendix 2 of the big book, where it talks about, there are two different ways of saying it. There, it's the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating is one way. And the other way is that um, it's the, uh, oh, here it is. The, uh, we, under, we undergo a profound alteration in our reaction to life. And, you know, I wish I had really understood that when I first came into the program because that's something that I can understand, you know, as an atheist. I can understand that both of those things make sense, and that's what I need. I need to alter my reaction to life and, over, and I need the uh, ability to overcome this, uh, this disease. So why do I need a spiritual awakening? Well, the big book tells the answer to that on page 62 where it says selfishness and self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our problems. And I'm convinced of that. If you're not convinced of that, go read page 62. They really explained it very well there. Um, you know, and it's really the, you know, it's like wanting all the food in the world for me, wanting the whole world to work the way that I want it to work, want, wanting people to do what I want them to do. That's all selfishness and self-centeredness. And, and that's where my problem comes from. And so what's the solution to, to, uh, to that problem of selfishness and self-centeredness? It's the 12 steps of this program. And in fact, that's what it says in the 12th step. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. It's not a result of the steps. It's not like you get abstinence and lose a lot of weight and you get a spiritual awakening. The result is a spiritual awakening, and that's what allows you to get abstinent, to lose a lot of weight, and to have all the other character defects in your life um, partially relieved. 
Um, and, you know, the way the steps do it is the steps one, two, and three are basically surrender. First of all, surrender that I'm a compulsive overeater and that I, I can't manage the food myself. You know, the, the worst fight in the world is to fight something that you can't win. And that's what I did all my life was fighting the food. And that's what I did during my recovery, too, fighting the food. Every time I take up that bite, every time I take that first bite of, the, of compulsive overeating, I'm essentially saying to myself, I'm not really a compulsive overeater. I can handle this, and I can stop tomorrow. You know, I, I was working a one-day-at-a-time program long before I came into this program. I just had the wrong day. It was tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is when I'll start my diet. Tomorrow is where I'll clean up my room. Tomorrow is when I'll, you know, do whatever it is that I'm going to do in my life. That's when I'll do it. Um, so procrastination is one of my character defects, too. So um, the, first, the first three steps are about surrender. And, you know, surrender sounds bad. Like a, a, a country has to surrender, that means they lost the war. But the other thing about surrendering is that surrendering brings peace. You know, if, war is hell. And when you surrender, you get peace. And that's what you get when you surrender in this program. You know, the other thing is when countries are at war, they can't just surrender the army and keep fighting with the navy. In the same way, I can't just surrender, surrender one food group and go ahead and eat anything I want of everything else. I have, to, I have to surrender all my food. And, in fact, I'm a quantity eater, so that's exactly what I have to do, surrender all the food. And I can't just surrender food. I have to surrender my life, too. If, I guarantee you that if I just surrendered the food and I kept being selfish and self-centered in my life, I would be back to the food. There's no doubt about it. I need, I need to keep working on that in all areas of my life. Uh, the, other thing, the other saying I like about surrender is that surrender is going over to the winning side. So it doesn't sound so bad that way. And then steps four, five, eight, and nine are all basically about cleaning up the havoc that I've caused in my life with my selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, that's what all of my resentments are, um, regrets that I have about myself. They're all, they're all about me. It's, it's all about me. Um, and then step six and seven is letting go of the other character defects that were caused by my selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, all of my character defects basically have that root cause. My impatience is because you're getting in my way. That's why I'm impatient. You're slowing me down. And then uh, step 10 is where you continue to do all of those other steps in your daily life. Step 11 is where you pray and meditate to get in touch with your higher power, however you define it. And then step 12 is where you... Um, do service. And doing service is getting out of yourself again. It's doing something for someone else. That's what doing service is all about. So the 12 steps are the solution to um, the problem of selfishness and self-centeredness, and, and that's where the result of a spiritual awakening comes from. And, you know, the, the, if you're asking, what's this new freedom and new happiness? Well, I used to think that I was free because I could eat any amount of food, anytime, anywhere, that I wanted to. You know, that was my freedom. I was able to eat anything I wanted. But that wasn't really freedom. It was really bondage is what it was. I had to eat everything, every time, everywhere. Um, so that, that's what the compulsion does to me. And you know, I thought I was happy when I was overeating, when I was eating whatever it is that I wanted to eat. But it may have been a glimmer of you know, some pleasure there for that moment, but then I'd had the, re- the repercussions of it, including my regret and resent- regret against myself for having done it and the repercussions of, of becoming obese. So, um, so we need a new freedom and a new happiness. And I believe the, the best way to understand what that new freedom and new happiness is is to read the rest of the promises. That's what the new freedom and new happiness is all about, the other parts of the spiritual awakening. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. You know, that's, a, that's part of letting go of the past that we do in steps four, five, eight, and nine. Four, five, eight, and nine. Of, of cleaning up the mess that we've made in the past. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down or up the scale we have gone, we will see how, our, how it can benefit others. Um, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. You know, it, it's talking about all kinds of selfish things that are going to disappear from having worked this program. We will lose interest in, oh, I already said that one. Um, our, ad, our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. 
Well, you know, fear, as I experienced it, fear is when I'm telling myself a story about what's going to happen in the future and then believing that is true and then getting all upset about it. But it all comes from that telling myself a story about what's going to happen to me in the future is where, is where the fear comes from. Um, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. And that's talking exactly about my higher power there, getting, con getting in contact with me through my intuition. And that's what I need to, to, to pray for. And we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So that's what the new freedom and new happiness to means to me. It's all of those, those other promises that those are all part of the new freedom and new happiness um, in my life. So um, the other thing that I do to, um, uh, to, to cultivate a spiritual awakening is to is do the 11th step which talks about prayer and meditation. And I like short prayers. I, um, I, I like prayers that I can say at any time of day. Or day. And, you know, the, the simplest prayer is just thank you, God, um, just being thankful in any situation. Um, another one that I like when I'm experiencing one of my character defects, like if I'm experiencing um, Impatience, whether it's with uh, traffic on the freeway or the grocery line or, you know, my, my family or whatever. If I'm, if I'm experiencing impatience, I've learned that if I say a prayer like this, thank you, God, for the opportunity to practice my patience, it often lifts. The, impa the impatience goes away. I might have to say the prayer a couple of times depending on the situation, but, um, but that's, that's one of the ways that I um, have used prayer to deal with my character defects. And that, that can apply to any character defect. You know, if I'm getting angry at something, if I'm uh, being critical of somebody, you know, thank you for this opportunity to practice my, my acceptance, for example, instead of my judgments or, or criticism. Another prayer that I like is more God, less Frank. <laughs> because that's exactly what I need in my life. I need more of God's will, God's grace in my life, less of Frank's selfishness and self-centeredness. And, you know, more God, less Frank works great for me. If you want to use it, go right ahead. <laughs> I can use all the prayers that I can get. Thank you. Another one I like is I'm not in charge. You know, I would, I would like to be in charge of everything, but I am not in charge of anything, basically. And another one is uh, relax and trust. Um, Someone pointed out to me it works better for them if they say trust and relax, because if they trust in God, then it's easier to relax. But whichever way you say it, relax and trust or trust and relax, um, that's you know, always what I need, something like that. So, um, so short prayers like that are what I tend to use. I don't have fixed long prayers I like. I love the serenity prayer. I do say that. That's a short enough prayer that I can say that uh, as needed. Um, and I, you know, enjoy the prayers that we say at the end of the meetings. So the other thing that I uh, use is meditation. Now, you know, being in the program for a long time, I went to meditation retreats. I went to meditation meetings, um, you know, things like that. And I would start out a practice of meditating every day, and it might last for a week or a month or something like that. So I never really got a practice of meditation going. When I started this recovery eight years ago, I got a sponsor eight years ago. He's been my sponsor since. And um, whenever I was in a situation complaining about something or being upset, he would always say, have you tried any quiet time, Frank? I'd say, no. <laughs> so, you know, for about four years, he kept uh, suggesting that. And then about four years ago, I um, went to a class, uh, an, an outside class that taught a lot of different techniques for meditation. And the difference is, is I did all the homework, and the homework was to meditate every day. So for eight weeks, I meditated every day. Um, and then within a few months after I got out of that class, I actually got an app that will help me. It keeps track of my meditation. It rings little Tibetan bells when I, you know, as often as I want them to ring. And the, the, the app keeps track of my meditation, and I can tell you that in the uh, approximately four years since that time, I have, made, I have meditated on 88% of the days. So it's not perfect. However, I have done the last, uh, what is it? Uh, where did I write that down? 621 days in a row. So I'm on a current streak here. Um, 
And, you know, the meditation's also ramped up. I used to do about 15 minutes a day. That was about it. And now I'm up to about an hour a day or so. And, and that's just recently. I've been doing an hour a day for the last month or so. But it, it had slowly been ramping up over that period of time. And, you know, one of the, one of the, the, uh, one of the problems that I have in terms of self-interest and self-centeredness is, you know, thinking about the past and thinking about the future. You know, spending a lot of time in the fast, past, spending a lot of time in the future. And one of the ways that meditation helps me is to let me notice how often I'm doing that. When I'm sitting there in a meditation trying to, you know, concentrate on whatever practice it is I'm doing, whether it's breath or a body scan or whatever, um, you know, that brain goes off and it starts thinking about what I did yesterday, what that person said to me, what I should have said back to them, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I finally come back to my senses in the meditation and get back into the practice again. Or it'll be thinking about what I'm going to do when I leave this and what am I going to do tomorrow and where should I go on vacation and, you know, blah, 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 living in the future. So meditation helps me a lot in terms of noticing that and being, being able to then let go of those thoughts during the meditation allows me to let go of those thoughts during daily life, too, more often. Um, so that's one of the benefits I get from meditation. Um, let's see, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, so in terms of you know, this living in the past and living in the future, that's, um, that's one of the reasons why resentment is such a killer. If I'm, if I'm always living in the past with whatever resentment it was that happened, you know, I'm, I'm living in the past. I'm not living in the present moment today. And um, one, of the, one of the sayings that I've heard that helps me the most with, um, with forgiving is that um, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. Because as long as I'm holding on to that resentment, I'm basically living back there in the past, wanting the past to be different. I'm trying to figure out how I could change the situation, what I could have said, where they wouldn't have done whatever they did, or how can I get back at them, or, you know, what I'm going to do in the future to them based on what they did to me in the past. And as long as I'm holding on to that resentment like that, I'm living in the past. So if I can remember that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past, then I can be more willing to let go of that resentment and, and, and forgive that person. And similarly, I think I talked about this already a little bit, but fear is about living in the future and believing whatever story I'm telling myself about it. So, you know, those two things, fear and resentment, and the, and the big book talks about those a lot, fear and resentments as being uh, the biggest part of our character defects that shows up on the, our inventory. And, you know, that's what they come from. They come from that living in the past, living in the future uh, when we didn't need to or want to. So, um, you know, spiritual awakening is the result of these steps, and it's the reason that I keep coming back to meetings. Um, you know, the, the, um, we have tools in this program, but when I, when I look at and read the big book, there's only one tool that they mention in the big book, and the tool is working with others. And, you know, that is one of the, the best ways to get out of selfishness and self-centeredness is to be of service to others and working with others. And so that's why I think a number of our tools are basically based on that. The tools of, of um, sponsorship is working with others. Tools of telephone, reaching out to other people on telephone is working with others. Um, meetings are working with others. I mean, showing up in a meeting is giving service to others because if nobody showed up in a meeting, there wouldn't be a meeting. So, you know, and so what I need to do, though, when I go to a meeting, it's not, I'm not going to the meeting. I, well, I do. I go to the meeting to try to get whatever I'm going to get for myself. But the best purpose for going to a meeting is to be of service to others when I go to that meeting, to, you know, find a newcomer to get a sponsee there. Um, some, somebody, uh, I used to tell people that I was full for sponsoring. I don't say that that often anymore. And, and one of the, uh, the person that convinced me not to say that is someone who said, how do you know how full you are? And how do you know who you can take and who you can't take? You know, the, the fact is, I don't, get in, don't, you know, I don't get too many sponsees at any given time. They tend to come and then they go, you know, so the, the flow is going to be whatever it's going to be. I leave it up to my higher power. Um, now, don't everybody ask me to sponsor tonight. <laughs> I only sponsor men, so that cuts it down in there. But, um, but you know, the, this, this program is about um, getting out of self, and uh, any way that I can get out of self is, is useful to me, and I'm grateful for this program, and I guess I'm going to end a couple minutes early. Thanks.
Hey, let's give another round of applause for both of our fantastic speakers, right? All righty. So that concludes the speaker portion of the meeting. At about 9 o'clock, the dance will start. So uh, feel free to go. The boutique is still open. The silent auction is still open. The 50-50 drawing and the Afghan sales are still going on. Go spend some cool money and get ready for I. There's another announcement. Uh, save your dinner That's right. That's your ticket to the dance, which should be starting. Oh, that would... But you're all, you guys are all going to keep your tickets, so come back and dance. It's going to be awesome. 9 o'clock. Thank you so much, you guys.